The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, folks. Hope you're doing well, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we are happy to have you back for this exciting part two of our two-part series with author, pastor, speaker, Louis Giglio. Louis is the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and the original visionary of the Passion Movement. Louis has literally spoken to hundreds of thousands of 18 to 25-year-olds around the country. Louis and his wife, Shelly, who happens to be a close personal friend, she's fantastic as well, lead the teams of Passion City Church, Six Step Records, Passion Publishing, and the Passion Global Institute. Louis is a national bestseller author of Not Forsaken, How Great Is Our God, Goliath Must Fall, Indescribable, The Comeback, The Air I Breathe, and I Am Not, But I Know I Am. We're going to join Ian and Louie as they are talking about the Enneagram, helping to be a bit of a guidance system to let you know when you're getting out of your lane and when you could be getting into some dangerous territory for yourself. So let's join Louie Giglio and your host, Ian Crumb. You know, on my car, I have this uh, lane warning departure thing, you know, so that if I start to drift out of my lane, my steering wheel starts to vibrate, right? And I often like to think of the Enneagram as being my lane detection warning system. When I start to leave my lane, right, because of the self-knowledge that I've gained from the Enneagram, I my, my steering wheel starts to shake and says, are you sure you want to change lanes? Because th- there may be a collision involved if you do, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I uh, I think it can be really helpful, uh, you, know, you know, knowing when you are in a good space and when you are about to leave a good space, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that uh, lane warning thing gets turned on um, somehow. I don't know who turns it on. Uh, angels, possibly, or, you know, right. but I've never turned it on, you know, but it's on all of a sudden. And threes only really care about how fast they can get that thing turned off. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're not that interested in why it's on or what it's protecting them from or saving them from. They are like, how did this get on? And it needs to get off right now. Yes. And I think that, you know, that has definitely been the, the best and the worst thing about my life. And fortunately, I don't live alone. I've got a phenomenal wife and she's been the best thing that God's ever given to me. And I've always been blessed, Ian, like you, with just an extraordinary people around me. Um, just a, an extraordinary team of people currently and always have had just the best and the brightest people. And they help me to the degree that I let them, um, you know, keep things within the lanes within reason. But a guy like me and a lot of threes listening today, 
are, are saying, hey, I don't want any lane warnings because, you know, give Steve Jobs a lane warning and we don't have the iPhone hold in our hand right now. Or we're, we, you and I are not on FaceTime right now. So help, just talk to me a little bit today about the balance, because I feel like when you said before that three think about the next task or the next thing to do, I rarely think about tasks. And I rarely think about things to do because I'd like to couch it in better terms because I want to think better of myself. I want to think about the next thing that hasn't been done yet. And that is a task, but it's more of a vision. It's more of a, a wish, I guess, that something could be different, not just for me, but that could benefit the greater common good for all people. And what? how would you encourage threes to you know, that have that sense right now and maybe are even pushing back a little bit on anything that would restrict them from, you know, doing something that everybody else has said can't be done. Thank you. It's an amazing question. And I happen to have an answer for it based on something I've read only recently. I've been doing a study on St. Augustine and I've been teaching on the life of uh, the life of St. Augustine. St. Augustine, uh, you know, it's possible St. Augustine was a three. Uh, very driven. He had parents that uh, were all about performance, achievement, and success, you know, and pushed him in that direction. And um, he he wrote about ambition, and he, you know, realized that, and I think this is a problem for three, that most of us, are, or threes, let's say, are usually concerned, unconsciously for the most part, with winning and domination, or I should say attention and domination. How's wow. that? Uh, attention and winning. So, you know, a three yearns for admiration because they equate it with love. The more I get done, the more I achieve, the more, the more uh, accomplishments I rack up, uh, the more uh, loved and uh, at home in the world I'm going to feel, right? So he wrestled with that, and he, he came up with this great quote that I'm going to encourage every three. I've memorized it. I, it comes up on my phone in an email every month. You know, it's sort of timed. It says, the prayer is this, be our glory, period. Let it be for your sake that I am loved. Wow. Let it be for your sake that I am loved. And why would that be important for a three? Because an unhealthy, young, not very self-aware three would be, let it be for my sake that I am loved. <laughs> let it be the result of all my accomplishments and successes and all the great things that I've done that I am loved. But when we say, let it be for your sake, the things that I've done or I'm doing or I'm becoming as a result of you that I am loved, that's healthy three. Wow. Man, that, that fires me up so much because, you know, the, the greatest awakening in my life, Ian, um, obviously meeting Jesus is a pretty big one, uh, lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle a radical grace. Um, but the greatest awakening in my life, I think, was the awakening to glory, which uh, sounds kind of crazy, but, but I realized one day that, that this whole thing is about His glory. Every page, every story, every... Uh, turn of events, the church, the word, heaven, all of us for his glory. And it really changed my life, changed the direction of our organization. In fact, in a nutshell, everything passion's about is a phrase from the old scripture or the Old Testament, which says, for your name, 
in your renown or the desire of our souls. And we've been trying to lead a generation in that 180 for 23 years now. Imagine that. That's what kids come to when they fill up stadiums for passion. We're telling them it's not about you. <laughs> I mean, right. and, people, and they still come, which is incredible. But I think it's because we're all looking for that higher meaning. And that's been my struggle, you know, honestly, of really deep down, genuinely believing that it is all about him but also being a fallen human being and knowing how easy I can even make that whole thing about it all being about him somehow all about me. And I think that that daily, you know, willingness choice to die to self and to live for his glory is the difference between being, you know, the biggest jerk and the biggest egotist in the world or someone who gen genuinely tries to use and leverage and harness that futuristic gift uh, for something that's going to last forever, and that's his glory. All right, this is fantastic. What I was going to say was what the Enneagram reveals is that part of us that is dimming the shine of God's glory. And I think that, you know, again, it's, it's an imprecise model, like, like all models are. But, man, in my own life— like, it has given me a self-awareness where I'm like, you know what, man? Right now, your life is all about you. And the reason I know that is because you are stuck inside this four story right now. And that story is in direct opposition to the gospel of grace. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, your story, the story of the three is, I am what I do. Right? In short, right? I am what I do. That story, if that's the premise of your story, then the underlying premise of your whole life is in direct opposition to the story of grace. Mm -hmm. And that's true for every single number on the Enneagram. I could go through all of the underlying premises, and one thing that would connect them all is that you would see that they are in direct opposition to the story of grace. Wow. So if you can figure out, okay, man, what, what lie, what false premise have I been living in? If you can then... Uh, become aware of it and when it's taking over, then you can say, I can live in a better story, right? Yeah. In yeah. A better story. And, you know, for me, that better story has always been about who I am and who I am. And I, everybody can define it differently, but I've chosen to take on that I am a worshiper of the living God. That's who I am. That's who I was created to be. And I've gotten a little freedom, Ian, because the thing that the threes tried to do to me, which is to make me equivocate to my job, um, is that in my my theology, um, that doesn't work for me because I'm a communicator, pure and simple. That's what I do. And I do a lot of other things. I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm a speaker. And uh, you understand that because I'm a three. I'm happy in front of people and I know how to read crowds and adapt and draw people into vision and use different language and all that. But at the end of the day, I'm headed to heaven. I'm pretty convinced of that. And there is no preaching in heaven. <laughs> right, right. That's the one thing there ain't going to be any of, unless it's just like they say, it's heaven, so all the preachers can go to a preaching conference and preach for each other. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody else is going to be in there, I guarantee you. I mean, it's like, what, what, here, here's the Apostle Paul, here's Moses, or 
Louis doing a seminar on the minor prophets down in uh, <laughs> 103 at 4.20 this afternoon. Um, so there's no preaching in heaven. So the thing that I get my most affirmation from, uh, the thing that I get recognized for, uh, the way I've made my living um, is preaching, but I'm not going to do any of that forever. Uh, but the thing that I am going to do forever in some way, shape, or Form. I don't know what all my other roles in heaven are going to be, is I'm going to be worshiping forever. That's who I am. And it's trying to live in that. That's my true self. That is my true self, a loved son and a worshiper of God. That's my story of grace. Love son, true worshiper of God. And if the degree that I can wake up and breathe that air, man, I'm a good three. Um, but when I buzz past that and I let, you know, those demons get in there and start chipping away at my self-confidence or I take some attacks or hits too seriously, man, I'm, I'm up the creek. And some of your listeners know me, some of them, most of them probably don't, but the ones that do know that 10 years ago I had a nervous breakdown, which I would guess is probably, uh, par for the course for threes. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean. First of all, thank you for sharing that, and I want to unpack it. Typically, uh, three sevens and eights are the three numbers on the Enneagram that when I'm teaching are really psyched to hear about their numbers. Like, like they just think, awesome, uh, because usually it works for them, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's really working. Like, they're out there crushing it. A, 28, <laughs> a 28-year-old three is not saying to me, how do I start to do my work they're like, are you kidding me? I've just built a mega church or I'm yeah. I'm running a venture capital fund or exactly. I'm crushing it, right? Usually three sevens and eights have to hit a wall and crash before they start to do their work. And that sounds maybe what happened to you. And so I want to hear more about it. Yeah, I think it's probably just, uh, you know, and I don't really know what all happened. It's probably a combination of a lot of things. That's normally what happens when you uh, have a nervous breakdown, but I think it's a lot of what you were talking about earlier, Ian, that inner turmoil, you know, there were, there are a lot of external pressures, but that's probably not what makes most of us crack up. It's usually the internal battle that takes us down at the end. And I think for me, it was probably somewhere in between that whole thing of the outer self and the inner self, you know, the perceived me and the real me. And which one of those I'm working the hardest on on a given day. But what it did for me, because um, I still consider myself to be an anxiety overcomer. And when you get cracked up like I did, and you're in a heap on the floor for six months, uh, you don't get over it. You really, you go, you get through it. And I'm, I'm, I would consider myself to be, for the most part, in my right mind today. <laughs> Some other people might, you know, weigh in differently on that. And I have the light of Christ in my eyes. The wind of His Spirit is at my back. I'm functioning in my gifts. I would say I'm back in the black. But I still am fighting that battle that took me out. It, it creeps up here and there. And it's put me in a position where I'm doing some non-three things a lot, like talk about my weakness and talk about my failure and talk about the fact that I couldn't hold it all together and that I'm not as strong as people perceive me to be. And I don't know, somehow standing on stages in front of, at this point, hundreds of thousands of people and telling them that I had a nervous breakdown 
is uh, not only been good for me, I think it's been good for everybody else that's ever been around me because it it sort of um, it brings us all to what you've been speaking about to to the real true self and the real true self isn't bulletproof and there are no superheroes out there and threes have a tendency to project that but none of us are yeah well i um i like how the greek the eastern orthodox would describe that experience they they call it a bright abyss Mm. A, a bright abyss uh because you know it's in that uh it's the you know, again, it's this paradox, right? That in the spiritual life, the dark night of the soul, the abyss, there is a brightness to it that God is doing something in us that we could not do for ourselves, which is to transform us and to help us face ourselves and survive yeah. what we see, right? And and so I think, you know, as you said, you're 61 years old, 62, I can't remember what you said, but by the time you get up in, into that age bracket, I mean, how do I say this? What a grace it was that that happened to you. Yeah. I mean, what a grace. Uh, 100%. And I think for a three to come out on the other side of that experience and know that I'm not what I do. I, I am, as you say, uh, a son uh, of a perfect father. You know, um, that uh, that that is a a revelation that if it can get into the blood and the marrow of who you are, changes the whole game. Yeah, and it takes time. And I'm praying, you know, for for the continuation of that. I one uh, had a lot of people help me, you know, and I just say to anybody that we're listening today that resonated with what I just said, especially from a spiritual point of view. If you're a church leader, spiritual leader, you know, get help um, and get whatever kind of help you need, whether it's a doctor or counselor or or priest or a pastor or all of the above. But one of the the guys in the medical field, Ian, that's spoken to my life, he said, you know, partly what's happened to you is that your brain, whatever that means, your, you know, your inner mechanism of self is trying to save you uh, because it thinks you're trying to kill yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, all you yes. can do is laugh, you know. And so it's going to, it's shutting down to preserve you from killing you. By all the stress, the pressure, the the pace, um, the expectations, the perfectionism that you're putting on yourself, and and your body, your brain right now thinks that you are at all out war <laughs> against your own well being, and the only way it knows to protect you right now is to shut down and pre- prevent you from doing anything else to you. I thought that was fascinating, and I don't know enough about you know the medical world to really understand that but what a grace that god has even put a a shutdown mechanism inside each one of us that helps and you know i I love that psalm 23 most everybody knows it but the first line of it when he says after the lord is my shepherd i won't be in need which is a mouthful in and of itself but he says my shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures and i thought man i'm not even smart enough to lie down in green pastures i gotta have a shepherd make me do that so thank you lord you know that he cares enough about us to to actually sometimes make us do things like that 
You know, that that's profound. And I, again, I want to thank you for your vulnerability because it's, uh, it's always a gift when people are uh, vulnerable uh, for our folks. And, you know, uh, to be clear as a therapist, and so I don't want anyone to misunderstand me, I am a big advocate for pharmaceutical intervention when it is required, right? But I think our culture is over-medicated. 100%. Um, and I think sometimes when someone has a breakdown or uh, depression, anxiety disorder, whatever, right, they may need some chemical support to get them, you know, in a place where they can start to deal with whatever is going on. I, so all in favor of that, everybody, trust me. But I, I think one of the questions that, that doctors or therapists and priests and pastors ask in, in um when, when you report to their office with something like you're describing is, okay, what's wrong with you? Okay. And that is not a very helpful question when you're in a pile on the floor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like what's wrong with you? Because, you know, all of a sudden mm. you've been pathologized and turned into a problem. Mm. Instead of maybe asking the question, what is your life trying to tell you? Yeah. What is, you know what I mean? Like, and, and what if, for example, your depression, anxiety, and I'm assuming that that those were features of what you experienced. Yeah. What if those are messages um, from that part of you that is saying, um, maybe you're not sick, Louie, maybe the culture or the life you're living is. And these are just the natural symptoms of what happens when you're not the sick one. It's actually the, the story you're living, the culture you're in that uh, is sick. And your body is saying, this is toxic for me. Wow. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And, you know, it takes different forms. And the thing I've learned, Ian, you know, you're, you got your disqualifiers and which I respect. And what I've tried to say too, my disqualifiers are, you know, this is different for everybody. Everybody's experience is different. Everybody's life is different. Um, I, I did get on board with a pastor very early in my process who had had exactly the symptoms because I had some crazy stuff happening. And I was living in a bubble, I guess, Ian, because I didn't know how many thousands of people were struggling with what I was struggling with, not one, tens, hundreds, tens of thousands. And so I didn't know anybody who'd been through what I'd been through. Uh, that's a lot different now, 10 years later, when I, I don't hardly know anybody who doesn't know somebody who hasn't been through what I went through. But everybody's story is different, and I don't want to project mine on anybody else. But um, it's not a simple equation of going into a doctor and getting a prescription and getting better in two weeks. And I think that's a revelation for some people of going, wow, this is a, uh, a lot deeper and it's going to require a lot more of a macro life overview, review and transformation. And we're not accustomed to that. We like getting prescriptions and we like feeling better six yep. days later, but six months later, you realize, okay, it took me, in, th in this case, 50 years pretty much to get here. It's going to take me a minute to get out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that's I've got true, to be man. Committed to that process and uh, to the whole yeah. process. Yeah. 
All right. So typically what happens to threes is uh, like twos and fours, they project an image. The, the three projects an image of success and they want to avoid the appearance of failure at all costs. Okay. And what they're afraid of twos, threes, and fours is if I let down the mask, the projection, right? That there's no one behind it. That, that, so all three numbers have issues around identity. Like, who am I? And is there anyone behind the mask? Um, when you hit that bottom and you had the gift of desperation, as is, I think, a nice phrase, uh, did you find that you could no longer hold the weight of the mask? And did, were you afraid there was no one behind it? Um, no, I don't know if I would say I was afraid no one's behind it, Ian. I think I was afraid to let people see that a weak person was behind it, uh. a struggler, you know, somebody who didn't, that had chinks in my armor, uh, was behind it. I remember, um, and I know we can't dwell on this forever and we got to wrap up, but, uh, we were planning a church when all this happened, which, you know, is part of that. If you want to blame it on something, that would be what you would blame it on. Um, uh, you know, starting a local church is not a great idea if you have control issues and self approval of others issues, <laughs> which Amen. I didn't know I had t big control issues and big, I need people's approval issues until we planted the church. Those don't, um, you know, manifest as much when you're leading an entrepreneurial movement and going from city to city speaking. But once you get in a community of people you're going to lead for a long while, they, they come up immediately. And so we're in the early stages of planning this church. We've only had a handful of meetings at people's basements and living rooms. We're not even, the doors aren't even publicly open yet. And we're, we're going to one of these meetings. It's a few weeks into this crash. I'm literally in the car shaking while my wife is driving wondering why are we going to this thing tonight i just needed to give an excuse you know people know i'm not feeling well and i the reason i went was because i felt it was important to go to this room full of 20 people and let them get their eyeballs on me and say hey I'm your pastor. <laughs> and I, I, I walked into these friends' house, sat down, and that's what I said. I said, everybody I know for the last however many weeks had it been, I don't remember the details right now, that, you know, I haven't been around, I haven't been at meetings, and Shelly's probably been telling everybody I'm, you know, not doing well, not feeling well, whatever. But I just needed you to get your, your eyes on me and see me like I am right now. Um, this is me. I'm your pastor, if you'll still have me. And I am in the middle of some kind of significant breakdown right now. And I wasn't afraid of who was in there. I just was wondering if that guy maybe could get out, Ian. You know, maybe he'd been buried by the three so far down that he couldn't get out. And if he did get out, people wouldn't like him. Hmm. Well, that's the three story, man. And it's also the three story of, of healing that you're describing. And uh, wouldn't it be great if, you know, uh, a younger three is listening and this conversation could save them time. Right? 
Because I think that's what all good preaching and teaching does, right? It's yeah. like, let me save you some time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody's I'm using got... That on Sunday, by the way. I will not credit you for it, but I, I'm using <laughs> Yes, be a really good three and take credit for yourself. <laughs> well, um, so your book, Not Forsaken, is the title, Finding Freedom as Sons and Daughters uh, of a Perfect Father. That dropped back in May. I love the title. Does it? How does it connect to the conversation we've just had? Well, everything, I think, ultimately goes back to, you know, the fact that we were created. And um, we're not the makers. We're the made. And we're not the creators. We are the created. And we were not just created by some ambivalent divine being. We were created by a perfect father. And um, that's all good and uh, happy news until I put it through the lens of my dad, my earthly dad. And when a lot of people do that, that's where their relationship with God breaks down. And what I want to do, Ian, is save them some time. And I want to serve people the best way I know how, which is by helping them see that God is not just a bigger version of their earthly dad. Uh, he's the perfect version of their earthly dad. And he can give them the blessing that they've longed for all their lives. And in fact, he has given us that blessing through his son. And so this book just helps people piece back back together uh, a, a hopeful and a helpful relationship with God. And, you know, even if somebody didn't have a jacked up relationship with their earthly dad, I still think there's ways for most churchgoers I know to still see God as he really is, which is not a scorekeeper in the sky, some angry old man, some distant, you know, religious force or energy, but to see him as a personal, powerful father who wants to give them the blessing they need to become, as you would say, their true self, the truest version of themselves, which is a love son, love daughter of the almighty, perfect father. Wow. Well, I want to just encourage everybody to get a copy of Not Forsaken, Finding Freedom as Sons and Daughters of a Perfect Father, recently uh, dropped just only in May, so it's still warm on the presses, people. <laughs> uh, Louis, did you enjoy this conversation as much as I did? I am like, I count this one of the best blessings of 2020 so far. Thank you so much, Ian, for having me on, and thanks for putting me on this path. I'm going to enjoy it. Man. I sure hope we have a chance one day to meet each other and face to face and have no pressure of time to uh, mingle our thoughts and experiences and enjoy them. I look forward to that. Thank you. Typology listeners, don't forget the book, Not Forsaken, Finding Freedom as Sons and Daughters of a Perfect Father by Louis Giglio. And please remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.